Welcome to the Anchored in Truth podcast. Anchored in Truth is an online ministry of Safe Harbor Baptist in Georgetown, Kentucky. Visit us online at safeharborbaptist.org. Let me open us up with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for your presence with us as your people, for how you guide us uh, in the joys of life, but also through the trials, the difficult topics that we wrestle with, um, the different situations we find ourselves in, in this life. And uh, we thank you that you shepherd us, you guide us according to your word. Help us tonight uh, to learn from you and to apply it to our life. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, uh, Just as a reminder, what we've covered so far, week one, we looked at creation's warrant, uh, the fact of how God created the world uh, and how his creation sets the standard uh, for uh, how we should live, right? We we should live according to the way that he made things and created things. The second week, we talked about creation's order, so we got into more specifics of uh, what it means to be male and female, uh, what marriage Uh, is meant to be as an exclusive, permanent, sacred covenant between a man and a woman. Then the week three, we talked about sin's disorder, how sin has disordered God's design uh, as sinners have rebelled against the way that he has made us as male and female uh, image bearers. Week four, we talked about temptation, desire, and orientation, and kind of how our desires and uh, how we see ourselves uh, can 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 be drawn away from what God uh, has called us, what things that tempt us, and and just the, the the sinful natures we have. Week five, we talked about transgenderism, uh, when someone tries to uh, physically alter their bodies to match what they they desire to be, as as far as male or female. So this week's topic is uh, an interesting one. It's the the title of the the passage is called intersex. Now, I'll be honest, I had never even heard that word uh, before this study. Uh, I think I had heard other words referring to that that type of thing, but I had never heard that word. And so what is it? If if you hear the word intersex, what is that? Well, it is a, a technical term for people whose sex or gender at birth is ambiguous or unclear. Uh, it's, it would be difficult or impossible to identify whether a person is a male or female through their anatomy. Um, now, this actually occurs, it's, very, it's pretty rare, right? So it occurs probably, uh, best statistics say, one in every 5,000 births. So that would be 0.02% of people in the world. But that is still people, right? We, we could come across someone in that condition. Um, and... And so it is a, a talking point, though, th- this idea um, among different theological persuasions, people who try to use it for justification for their own beliefs or, or things like that. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But intersex and having this condition where uh, someone it's hard to tell whether they're male or female is different than transgender. We want to be clear on that. Uh, transgender is a term that's really based on someone's feelings or perceptions about what they would like to be. It's, it's more of a psychological uh, condition. Uh, intersex is more of a physical condition of, of someone. 
It's a, a it's an, a physical anatomy uh, where a reproductive organ doesn't basically correspond to what you would normally think of a male or a female. So one thing we want to keep in mind is people who have this condition of intersex is, is a difficult life for many people. Right? They walk uh, often confused about who they are. Uh, they're challenged. Uh, it's just a challenging and lonely journey oftentimes uh, with a, lo- a lack of a sense of identity uh, because of their physical condition. And that's where we believe uh, the Bible brings God's hope and help uh, to all people in all conditions of life. And so that's where we're going to kind of go with today's study. But first, we're going to watch the video as kind of an introduction to to the topic, and then we'll uh, have a little bit more uh, teaching. You can take notes in your notebook if you would like. Welcome to week six of Male and Female, He Created Them. My name is Denny Burke, and I am the, one of the authors of the book that you are using for your study. Now, last week, you studied about transgenderism and gender dysphoria, and it's my pleasure this week to talk with you about the phenomenon known as intersex. What is intersex? An intersex condition is sometimes confused with transgenderism, but it's really important that we not get these two categories confused. Uh, They are not the same thing. An intersex condition refers to people who have experienced some sort of a physical disorder of sexual development. Sometimes it's called the DSD. And the term intersex does not refer to a single disorder. Rather, intersex is an umbrella term to refer to the different ways that a person's physical sexual development can go off course. Often, intersex conditions result in a person's genital anatomy being ambiguous and not clearly revealing whether that person is male or female. In the 20th century, there was a physician named John Money who pioneered a quote-unquote treatment protocol for infants who were born with an intersex condition. That treatment protocol assumed that gender was a social construct and could be molded one way or the other just by socialization. And John Money recommended that parents and physicians choose a gender and then surgically reshape the baby's sexual anatomy to match that choice. The problem with this protocol is that it completely ignored the sexual chromosomes of the infants, assuming that there was no connection between the child's biology and self-identity. As a result of this, many of the children who had undergone these procedures grew up to feel themselves to be something different from what their parents chose for them. And sadly, many of their surgeries resulted in destructive changes that could not be reversed. And so it's very common today in queer theory and in postmodern feminism to point to intersexed persons for their political agenda. And namely, what they'll do is they'll point to intersexed persons as evidence that sex isn't binary. Because people with intersex conditions have disorders in their sexual development, they would argue that proves that sex is not binary, but it really exists on a spectrum. They would argue that there are male, female, and all kinds of variations in between, and perhaps variations not even on that spectrum. Even some Christian theologians have made the same claim about intersex conditions. In her book, 
sex difference in Christian theology. There's a theologian named Megan DeFranza who argues that the existence of intersex persons calls into question the male-female binary revealed in Genesis chapters 1 through 2. She suggests that Adam and Eve were the fountainhead of sexual difference, but not paradigms of sexual difference. Adam and Eve may have manifested a sexual binary, but those two sexes must not be understood as the only two possibilities. Those are the first two possibilities, but intersexed persons show us that there are many other possibilities as well. Indeed, she argues that in the new creation, there will be male, female, and others who are more than females and males, end quote. Her approach entails an indictment of the perfection of God's good creation design. So what are we to make of this claim that DeFranza makes? Do intersex people prove that sexual difference isn't binary? Well, the answer to that question is no, because the disordering of a thing doesn't change the essence of a thing. Think of an arrow pulled back in a string. If someone comes and places a barrier between the arrow and the target or places a block on the string so that it can't fire properly, that doesn't change the fact of what the arrow is designed for. It doesn't change the fact of what the bow and arrow even is. Its essence is, de is determined by its design, even if there's some barrier um, inhibiting that design. Now, when a barrier has been introduced to prevent the actualization of the arrow's purpose, its potency still remains. Likewise, a person with a, a disorder of sexual development is not evidence of a third gender or of endless variations of sexual difference. Rather, that person is evidence of how broken and disordered our world can be. Like those born with cancer or birth defects, we don't treat their disorder as if it marks them as a different species or less than human. On the contrary, we treat them as image bearers worthy of our compassion and care. We must recognize that the body's organization for reproduction still resides in those with an intersex condition, even if there is a disorder preventing things from working correctly. Physically, those with a disorder of sex development still manifest a sexual binary, even if that evidence is difficult to see with the naked eye. Now, one overlooked evidence of the sex binary in intersexed persons is the fact that no one with a Y chromosome is able to produce large gametes, or otherwise known as eggs, and that no one without a Y chromosome is able to produce small gametes, otherwise known as sperm. No matter what other anatomical ambiguities there may be, those basic facts of reproduction persist even in persons with a disorder of sex development. Our sex chromosomes are what direct our body's development as male or female. The default developmental setting is the chromosomal pattern XX female, but the presence of a Y chromosome is the trigger switch for male development. And then you get the, X, the normal XY pairing. Even if something goes wrong with that Y chromosome to cause a disorder of sex development, like if you have a malfunctioning SRY gene, for example, we know that a malfunctioning SRY gene and a malfunctioning Y chromosome will be functioning 
in the new creation. And whatever is ambiguous here will not be ambiguous in the resurrection. There will be no disorders of sex development in the new creation. There will be no intersex conditions in the age to come. The binary reality of gender and sex is what existed before the fall in Adam and Eve, and it will be a part of the restoration of creation in the age to come. In his 1990 book, Everything You Wanted to Know About Heaven, Peter Kreeft asks the question, is there sex in heaven? He answers the question with a yes. Why does he answer it that way? Well, it's because the new creation defines what we will be. It's not the fallenness of this age that we observe now that defines what we really are. The new creation restores what was normative in Eden before any sin entered into the world. On the assumption that our persons are a unity of body and soul, Kreeft writes, quote, if sexuality is a part of our inner essence, then it follows that there is sexuality in heaven. Whether or not we have sex and whether or not we have sexually distinct social roles in heaven, end quote. Or to quote Thomas Aquinas, if sexual differences are natural, they are preserved in heaven for grace does not destroy nature, but perfects it. A person with an intersex condition is not the same thing as a person who identifies as transgender. These are two different phenomena. People with intersex conditions should call forth our compassion and our care for our neighbors who carry in their persons a painful reminder of the groaning of this creation. They have a condition that will be resolved in the new creation, but which may be a very difficult burden until that time. And now to this week's lesson. All right. So a lot of medical terminology there. Uh, and, uh, you know, we talked about chromosomes and binary and all these things. So just to, to give a few definitions, you know, when he talks about our, our gender or our sex being binary, binary means two, right? So God made two genders, two sexes, male and female in the beginning. And then when we talk about chromosomes, uh, you know, a female uh, person has, an, has two X chromosomes. Uh, a male person has an X and a Y chromosome. So I don't know if you all have ever been taught that in biology class or anything like that. But those are just kind of medical terms, that, uh, ways of identifying uh, whether a person is male or female. So <clears throat> just as a reminder of kind of our presuppositions that we said the first week, uh, for this study, things that we are that are underlying truths uh, that we keep in mind with anything that we think about in God's Word or, and in life. First, God is the Creator and the Sustainer of all things. Right. So when it when it comes to someone who is intersex, who has uh, some indistinguishable features, that means God is still their Creator, right? And God is si still their Sustainer. In, in life, what, whatever their own sense of identity or purpose is, God made them, God sustains them. Secondly, Jesus is God in the flesh who perfectly lived and taught God's design, all right? So we know, we can look at Jesus and know, no matter what our experience of life is, this is what life should look like, right? Like this man. Whether we're male or female, 
essentially, we can look to Jesus as uh, our, the, the goal of how we as people should want to live in communion with God, as uh, created by God. Now, we have different roles, obviously, as male and female in society and in family and church, but functionally, you know, the way we live that out, we look to Jesus, and he enables us to live that way. Third, the Bible is God's word, perfect and without error, therefore trustworthy and true. So in other words, if it's perfect, without error, trustworthy and true, that it means that the Bible has something to say to every single person, including somebody who identifies as intersex, that, that God's word in some way addresses them in that condition. And so when we, th- we come across people who are struggling with, maybe they have this condition, or maybe some other struggle they have, we can point them to, well, what does God's word say about you and where you are? Fourth, sin is a reality in our world that affects everything and separates creation from God and his design. So when we think about someone who has the, the condition of intersex and we, we think, well, this doesn't seem to line up with the male and female creation, why is that? We can look back and, and know the reality of what God's word said, sin, right? Sin is ultimately the cause of uh, the fallenness of this world that manifests itself in all kinds of ways, including in our physical bodies. And we see that in all kinds of different forms. This is just one form of the way that sin has affected our bodies, right? There's all kinds of diseases. People are born without limbs, uh, arms, or legs, uh, people are born blind. You know, there's all kinds of ways that sin can affect our bodies, and this is one of those ways. So, that's just kind of foundational things we need to keep in mind when we think about people who have this condition and how we should think about that. Uh, so, despite the, the fact that it's really a small portion of the population that has this intersex condition, Scripture Uh, teaches us God's intent, right? Verse 27 of Genesis 1 says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So what does that have to say to a person who is not sure that they are male or female? What does that verse tell us? Tells us that they're still image bearers of God, right? That every person is still an image bearer apart from whether they're male or female. So God's good design is that all people are meant, still meant to reflect God's image. And and so clearly people matter to God, but also gender or your sex matters to God. Right? He, he addresses that here in Genesis 1, male or female. <clears throat> but going back to our presuppositions, we know that things are not intended or not always as God intended in this world. Right? There's a lot that has gone wrong since creation, since the Garden of Eden. We live in a fallen state that affects us spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically, all those areas. We all feel the effects of this every day. But 
God's Word addresses these things. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 together. And this is probably the most uh, directly related passage to this particular condition of intersex. And it's pretty amazing that, that the Bible, you know, that God would see fit to address people who find themselves in this place in life. <clears throat> that Jesus was aware of it. Matthew 19, starting in verse 1, and God's word says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning male, made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? And he told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. All right, there we see right away. It was not like that from the beginning in the way God created things, the way God meant it to be. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And then we read this in verse 10. His disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. He responded, not everyone can accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. Now, that word eunuch, you may or may not be familiar with that word. That's not a common word that we use necessarily in our culture today. It was more common in ancient times when uh, guards would often make themselves eunuchs uh, for the sake of the, the harem of the king. But eunuchs essentially were uh, had some sort of intersex condition. They were either born that way or they made themselves that way. They castrated themselves or made themselves unable to reproduce. Or, or Jesus says here, some of them were born that way. So this is really, uh, those people who were born that way is what we're talking about essentially in our lesson today. And Jesus addresses those. And what does he say to them in this passage? He says, those who are, the one who is able to accept it should accept it. What does that mean? How can we accept these things? How can we accept the way that we are born or the things that have happened to us that maybe we didn't choose? Like some people were made eunuchs, or some people made themselves eunuchs, right? And that's their, that, this, the, where they find themselves in that moment that Jesus tells them 
try to accept that. Well, we know that we can accept where our lot in life, where we find ourselves, and have peace, as Paul says, in prison. I can be content in all things through Christ, right? Christ, we find contentment in Christ and not just in our condition, our lot in life. That doesn't determine our commitment, our contentment. Christ does, ultimately. And so, but but I think it's interesting that Jesus finds a way to to say to these people, "I see you, I recognize you, I see your struggle, I see where you are in in your life, and I came for you." Right? He's he's ultimately pointing to himself when he's saying these things, the things that are about this world, marriage and divorce and. I didn't gender, all these things are in this passage. And he's pointing to the fact that the fall has affected all these things, right? And that he came to redeem what is broken in this world. And so um, Jesus sees people in terms of male or female, but he also is recognizing this was not God's intent in creation. It's a result of the fall. And so, um, but we also know that God is good, right? And he intends to show his goodness in our weaknesses, in our failures, in our th- the things that we feel and know are, are broken and fallen about our lives. Moreover, we read in, in Lamentations 3.23, his mercies are new every morning. He gives mercy to his people. They're new every morning. They're sufficient for every day. And he promises the ongoing sufficient grace that we need in order to walk in a way that pleases him and brings him glory and so that he could reveal himself to a broken and dying world. You know, we think about the, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the first catechism, or the first, yeah, the first catechism, uh, chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, Right? So can a person with this condition still live that out? That's the chief end. That's why we're made, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And the answer is yes, right? And so that, that means no matter how we are physically, male or female or, or intersex, that we can still glorify God and enjoy Him. And in doing so, we fulfill why God made us, right? Uh, and, and that's ultimately the purpose that, that we have through Jesus in our life. So Jesus came to heal and restore these broken things, and he referred to the fact that in the new creation that these, these results of the fall will not be present anymore. In other words, God will fully restore who he intended us to be when he made us and the things that creation has distorted, right? And he will restore us to, to, to perfection. Our resurrected bodies will be perfect. And this is our hope. This is the hope of all people. This is really the only hope for people who know, man, something about my life is not the way it should be, whether it's physical or emotional or physical. Like, our only real hope is that things one day will be made right, that we will be healed. And Jesus is the only one who promises that in a resurrected body because he's a resurrected Lord. So, 
then the question that is, how should we respond as Christians to this reality in the world? The, the fact that there is an intersex condition out there. Well, first of all, I think as Christians, we always have to, to strive to value God's design more than the expression of that design. What do I mean by that? We value God's design, the fact that he made that person, more so than what we see in that person, right? He's valued this person, whether, whether they're male or female, or that they're not sure, is loved by God, is made by God, is valued by God, is reflecting God in some way. And that should enable us to look past their shortcomings, whether physical or spiritual or emotional, and, and see them in a different light, right? So we, we see their value as people created by God. Secondly, we want to let God's light shine fully on the situation, right? We want his wisdom, his light to shine. In other words, we want to investigate and try to find out as much as we can. If a, if a person is not sure or a parent is not sure if their child is a boy or a girl, but because of modern technology and science, we have ways now to determine chromosomes, right? We can look into, well, what does their chromosome say? This is God's intent for this person, even if it's not expressed in the way that God intended it to be. Uh, the DNA doesn't lie <laughs> is one way you can put that. It's a, a, a fact. And so we want to embrace God's creative intention as best we can. If someone doesn't know, say someone doesn't have access to modern science in a third world country somewhere, I think first we would, we would want to encourage that person, don't live in despair as if your life is hopeless, right? Because we know ultimately we can point them to the gospel and know there is hope for all people in Christ. Um, accept, like Jesus said, tr seek to accept who you are in Jesus and follow him as best you can. Find your identity in Jesus, not in your your sex or your uncertainty about your gender or sex. Um, and see, it really is a calling to rely on his grace through that particular trial. You know, just like we would we would recommend for anybody who's going through another physical trial in some form or fashion, uh, we would call them to rely on God's grace and try to help them rely on God's grace through that trial. You know, I think a lot of times we see this as somehow different than other physical conditions. But, and every physical condition is different. But in a general sense, all physical conditions call us to trust the Lord and to rely on Him and not let that condition or that reality in our life define who we are. Right? We have to find, know how to find our identity in Jesus and redeemed creation, first and foremost. So from these passages, we see as Christians, we are called to understand, to seek to understand, and strengthen and encourage those who find themselves unable to marry, unable to, 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 to have kids in various ways, to unable to even know what, if they're male or female. And we want to, you know, we want to come alongside these, these folks just like we would anybody else. Um, and try to walk with them through those things and know that there is hope in Jesus. There's life with him apart from all these other things. And that's not ultimately who we are.
Right. Um, and uh, so that that's just kind of a brief intro into to this condition. What I want us to do now is we have several discussion questions like we've been doing. We'll break up, work through these questions, and then we will take some time at the end to work through some of these and see what y'all came up with. And then if you have any other questions related to this topic. So you may have heard, you know, different terms for intersex. You may have heard hermaphrodite or eunuch or, you know, there's different terms that people use. But it's all in some way, they're not all exactly the same, but it's essentially uh, referring to the same type of condition. And, and I've, I have personally heard people make the argument that because of the reality of this condition, it's an argument against uh, trying to follow God's design for male and female. And we need to wrestle with that because we need to know how to answer those people if they're trying to use it to justify atheism or uh, you know, not, being, not following Christianity. And, and people do that. And I've personally had somebody do that to me here in Georgetown, Kentucky. And uh, so we want to think through this, this stuff well and know how to talk with, with people about these things. So uh, let's see here. We'll do a group over here, a group back there. Joshua, you, jo- you go over there with them, all right? We'll have three groups. Who wants to? All right. Everybody got it all figured out? Everybody's good? Yeah, no questions? All right. Well, let's let's work through some of these questions together for a minute, and I'll try to repeat them out loud and then repeat out loud what you all say so the people on the podcast can hear uh, that are listening in. But um, how should, so question one, how should parents respond, do you think, if they have a child born with an intersex condition? What, what should they do? So, uh, you know, say somebody in your church comes to you and, hey, this is what's going on, what should I do? Or somebody that you work with that's not a Christian, you know what? What would you all say to that person? Because you know this could happen. One in five thousand, right? Oh, before we get to that question, how many of you all have ever known somebody with this condition that you know of? One, I, I did two. I went, we actually went to church with somebody in Lexington at Porter who had it, and uh, I'll be honest, like I didn't know what to do with it at that point. I was a twenty-three year old. And hadn't really thought about it, and uh, just kind of pretend like it was happening. A lot, you know, cl- plug your ears and keep walking on and living life because I didn't know what to say or do. Uh, and I mean, this person I didn't know them real well, but I knew who they were, and I could see them at church on Sunday and, and different things. Uh, I kind of left it to the experts, so to speak. But there may be um, that's the Christian thing to do, right? I think there's something in the Bible about leaving it to the experts, like, maybe not. Maybe it says we're all called to be ministers, Ephesians 4. But anyways, um, no, realistically, though, we could have somebody we love and care about who has this question. So what would you all say to him? Confusion. Okay, yeah, so he said uh, raise them according to their genetic testing because more than likely as they get older, their hormones and all that stuff will correspond to their genes. And that if you raise them the opposite way, then there's going to cause more confusion later on as they get older. 
it's always good to have a, a medical uh, professional in the in the room to think through these things because because that, that is a side of, of, of these things uh, when it comes to practical living it out. But yeah, so what along with that, would you recommend uh, you know any kind of surgery? Like when when a child is young, any kind of corrective surgery or anything like that when they're young. No, <laughs> yeah. If, if unless it's causing a medical condition that's going to harm them physically, the, the really it, it's recommended to wait until they're a little bit older to do any kind of surgery because of the, the, the hormones that change and all that kind of stuff. You know, this is a, a a problem that comes up when people when parents make a decision, and then when the kid gets older, there's animosity towards their parent because their parents made the wrong decision when when they were a baby, right? And those are hard decisions to make. We certainly would be empathetic with with those decisions that that people have to make. But the the general recommendation from for, from a Christian perspective is don't do anything that might permanently affect somebody if you're not sure at a young age what to do. Right, you hold off as long as you can on those those types of procedures and things. And what if somebody uh, doesn't have access to a genetic test? How would you re- re- tell parents they should respond? Oh, okay. <laughs> Y'all answered the easy one. Any any thoughts on that one? Always pray. Yes, P- prayer is always a good good answer. Um, yeah, yeah, um, and that would be true whatever, whether they have access to genetic testing or not, right? We want to point them to, to Jesus, know, point them to the fact that God made them, that God loves them just the way they are, you know, as far as, you know, who they are. God came and sent Jesus so that they could be saved um, and that they could know him and just continually, you know, point to the reality that uh you know the the ways that sin has affected our our lives is numerous, and all that just reminds us that we need Jesus to heal us now, but also eternally um, into who He's made us to be. So yeah, I mean that that's the, that's the way we want to approach that. Um, secondly, how should we as Christians think about the causes of a person who is born with an intersex condition? And how should this affect how we treat these people? What do y'all think? Okay. Good. Any other thoughts? Yeah. So it wasn't their sin that caused it? It wasn't their parents' sin that caused it? What's that? Right. Yeah, so it wasn't necessarily a result of somebody's sin particularly, Somehow, we don't understand how God works and why he allows things in his way and in his timing, but he's allowed this person to have a particular condition to bring glory to him in some way that, that maybe they couldn't uh, if in another way. Uh, you know, theologians refer to kind of two aspects of evil, right? There's something called natural evil, which is just the result of, of living in a fallen world, right? These are the... Things like being born with physical conditions for no apparent reason, right? Or uh, just the reality of death in the world um, and, and other things. That, those are, that's what we call natural evil that just affects a lot of, of our lives in a lot of different ways for no particular reason. But then there's also moral evil, 
right? Moral evil is evil that is caused by human sin, choices, sinful choices. Uh, and that's what the Bible would call sin, uh, that, that moral evil. And so the truth is we live in a reality of, of both of those things, right? And so we see and experience things that are really caused by human sin, effects, consequences. But then we also have things that we can't really point to a reason. It's simply because we live in this world. And, uh, and so we want to recognize that that's how, that's how we should think about people uh, who are born with this particular condition is this is a reminder of, man, just how much sin has affected our lives and, and our world. And it should move us to compassion towards those people, right? Like that they didn't have any control over it. And, and yet they find themselves in a difficult place. And so we want to, to meet them where they are and try to minister to them uh, and try to help them through those things. All right. Third, how would you seek to disciple someone who is born in, with an intersex condition? In other words, how would you try to help them come to know Jesus, follow Jesus, live that out in their lives? You know, obviously... Uh, you know, part of discipling someone is living out who we are as men. Like we had a man, men's breakfast, right? Talking about biblical manhood. Or living who they are out as women. But maybe for somebody who doesn't know, how do we disciple somebody or somebody who's struggling with who they are? How do we disciple them? What do you think? Okay. So discipling someone as a couple for, from a male and a female perspective. Okay. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. So, again, going back to the glorifying God through their lives, pointing them to ways they can glorify God through their lives, apart from being male or female, uh, enjoying God's presence. You don't have to be male or female, per se, to enjoy God's presence as a person, right? Um, that's simply a, a relationship with, with God. Um, prayer and spending time with Him and His Word, worship. Yeah, so, you know, I think in a lot of ways you would disciple an intersex person just like you would any of anybody else, right? There may be particular applications that you might not make. Well, you need to, you, you don't have to disciple them how to necessarily be a, a godly father in that case, or a godly mother, but there's a lot of other ways that the applications are the same um, in their lives. All right, fourth, how would you respond to someone who says that Christians are unloving? This is a really question I, I got posed with, uh, with from a guy who was really making an argument against Christianity. How would you respond to somebody who says Christians are unloving by trying to claim there are only two genders when this person clearly is not? And male, male or female, and that the best way to love people is to let them identify by whatever gender they want. You are alienating these people by saying God intends for people to be male or female. How is that loving? What would you say to that person? Because I got asked that question, and you might too. And we want to be good witnesses to the faith, right? So, any, any, any thoughts? Yep. 
Okay, so yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, so we hold to God's word. What does God say? And we need to know what God says to answer a question like this, right? Okay, so if we believe that God's word is sufficient in all things, then that means it's sufficient to answer this question, which means, first of all, okay, we see, well, what does God's word say? Well, God's word says God created them male and female, but God's word also says that was before sin came into the world, right? And so we know that our, our faith actually explains why people find themselves in this condition, and it's because of the fact that there's sin, right? There's no other explanation for that, and it's actually unloving to try to come up with another explanation for that. So we, we have an explanation of why they're that way, but we also have an explanation of how they should live, even apart from their gender, that they can find meaning and fulfillment, right? See, I think the big thing in our culture and the question that this person asks is, well, you have to know who you are as a gender to find fulfillment in life, to find meaning or purpose in life. That's really what they're asking. Right. Right. Well, it's both. They're trying to say both. Yeah. Right. 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 Is critters a theological term? <laughs> nah, no, you're right. You know, he, they really are trying to use it to justify also transgenderism, right? It, it's a both and. They're, they're trying to say, you're not really loving if you don't love people the way they are made without a gender or that if they're willing to choose gender, either one. And what, we're, what we have to say in standing on God's word is, no, actually... We love people apart from those things altogether. We love them because they're made in God's image. He values them, and they can know him, and their sin separates them from him. And anything that justifies that sin or that living apart from him is actually harming them. Uh, right. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, I, I think... It really comes from an ideology that's trying to justify, well, we need to follow our feelings. Our feelings are more valuable than what God says, right, about what God intends. But also, you know, so we, we have the, the plan. We have the way that we can help them see what God says about that plan and, and how we find meaning. But also, we have the answer of the, the only hope that for the confusion they feel, right? And that is the, the eternal hope we have where God will restore us to, completely to who he meant us to be. So we really, we have the full spectrum as Christians to answer that question. The intent, you know, how we're called to see ourselves as we are right now and who we will be. And a person asking that question doesn't have an answer to really any of those things. They just have an answer to how they feel. And that, as we all know, our feelings are deceptive and can lead us in all kinds of bad places and ultimately leave us unfulfilled. So, um, all right. So those are those questions. Does anybody else have a burning question? We're kind of already over time. Any, anybody else have a burning question or can you save it for the last Q&A? <laughs> You're going to save it? All right. If you have any other questions, write them down. Seriously.
Okay, great, great. And try to submit them to me ahead of time, maybe, uh, so we, we have time to thoroughly think them through. Sorry, sorry we ran out of time, but, uh, you know, it's, I know this can probably, can kind of seem like, well, well, I'll probably never have to deal with this, or, you know, what, what does this have to do with me? We, we could think that way easily, but, you know, the truth is, we want to think biblically and carefully about all of life in all situations of life because we, we want to be prepared, right? Be ready to give an uh, answer uh, to, to the faith is what Peter says and uh, for the hope that's in us. And so that's exactly what we want to do. And that's what we're doing here tonight with these things, right? We want to give an answer. So, all right, let me close this out. And uh, wow, I thought this would be a short lesson tonight and we went over. So, all right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time you've given us. We thank you for your word and how it does help us think about life and the things that we face and others around us face. Help us to be uh, winsome, truthful, caring, loving, uh, bold witnesses to who you are with the people we encounter and the questions they have. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.